I hope the building doesn't start to tilt. I feel a little bit off balance tonight. Well, why don't we turn in our Bibles to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. And I think when we go through this study tonight, you'll find it's apropos for a couple of different reasons. I just realized that we should be, I think this or next Saturday, we should be seeing the Ten Commandments come on TV again as it does every year. One of my favorite movies. So we're going to go through 80 years of Moses' life, or for at least 40 years of Moses' life. And we're going to do it in about 40 minutes. The movie does it in about two hours. And, uh, and Stephen, in, in the book of Acts, if you hold your finger in uh, chapter 3 of Exodus, Stephen in the book of Acts goes through 40 years of Moses' life in, uh, in about nine verses. So turn to Acts chapter 7, because we have to catch us up to date with where we are in chapter 3 of Exodus. So we have to sort of get a recap of Moses' life. Acts chapter 7 and starting in verse 20. You know, the last time I taught, we spoke about in Deuteronomy chapter 8, the humbling of a nation. And we saw how God did that through, through the different things in the wilderness. And we, tonight we see the humbling of a servant as uh, Moses is brought to a place where he can be used by God. And as I prayed before the message, we all have a plan and a purpose in God's, in God's plan, and we want to know what that is, and we want to be available, and we want to be prepared for God's service. So as you hopefully have turned to Acts chapter 7, I'm going to read through in verses 20 to 29. It says, At this time Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God, and he was brought up in his father's house for three months. But when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. Now when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand but they did not understand. And the next day he appeared to two of them as they were fighting and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brethren. Why do you wrong one another? But he who did his neighbor wrong pushed him away, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? Then at this saying, Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian, where he had two sons. So we just went through 40 years of Moses' life in nine verses. This is Stephen's address to the high priest. You know, Stephen was the first martyr in the New Testament, brought before the high priest for the, 
for the crime of blasphemy, which was really a lie. There was no blasphemy in Stephen. But instead of answering the charge of blasphemy, Stephen goes on and starts to give a history of, of really of Christianity, starting from the, from the Old Testament up until that day and, and to Jesus. And this is the story he started to tell about Moses, the deliverer in chapter 7 of Acts. So 40 years of Moses' life, we see he was born. We know the story. If we've seen the movie, if we've read this, this uh, portion of Scripture in Exodus before, set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him in. Um, he was brought up in all of the ways of Egypt, learned all of the language, learned all of the culture, he was brought up probably to one day become Pharaoh in the land of Egypt. And then when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart, it says, to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. Now, although he was brought up in the household of Pharaoh, he had a choice to make at this point in his life. Do I identify with my Egyptian upbringing or do I identify with these oppressed people, the Israelites? And he saw one of them suffering at the hands of an Egyptian, and he took it, matters into his own hands, and he killed the Egyptian, and he buried him in the sand. And thinking he had done right, he went on about his business. But the next day, when he came to try to break up two Hebrews who were fighting, they challenged Moses. And they said to him, are you going to kill me like you did that Egyptian? And Moses realized that this thing has gotten out. The word has gotten around that I have done something wrong. You know, in the, in the original account in Exodus, it says that Moses looked left and he looked right. And then he killed the Egyptian. You know, when he was about to do something wrong, he knew he had to look left and right, but he didn't look up. God knew. But that, there was a plan for Moses, even in that. And God can redeem those things in our lives. So Moses' life divided into three 40-year sections. We see the first 40 years up until this time. And it says here, Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian where he had two sons. So he fled to the desert. He fled to the desert seeking safety from the decree that went out against him to kill him. And he made a life for himself. He got married. He had children. He became a shepherd in the Midian desert. And the next 40 years are the backside of the desert years for Moses. You know, J. Vernon McGee calls this his getting his B.D. degree, his backside of the desert degree. And we all go through those times. And this is what we're going to talk about mostly tonight, is that backside of the desert experience in Moses' life. Now, just to get back to the first 40 years, he, he received the, uh, the elite Egyptian education. 
He enjoyed all of the benefits and privileges. And he was raised, although he was raised by, the, by Pharaoh's daughter, remember, with a twist of circumstances, he was actually nursed and nurtured until he was weaned by his own mother. And who knows if his mother instilled in his heart and in his mind the fact that he was a Hebrew. He was God's chosen. And that's why when he had that choice to make, he chose to, to align himself with his, with his brethren. But Moses always wanted to avenge the one that was oppressed. This is something that's just in Moses' character. And it's a good characteristic, but Moses is very zealous in that. And sometimes we get zealous in what we want to do for God, and it's not quite God's timing or circumstance, or we're not ready yet. And this is the, really the lesson for today. You know, we could say that the 40 years that Moses spent in the Midian wilderness was a waste of time. I mean, basically, he just went about his, his business, went about his life with his family and was the shepherd of not even his own flock, of his father-in-law's flock. So what was God doing that whole time in, in the wilderness, those 40 years that we may look back and say, was a, was a waste of time. God's people may have, been, may have been brought out of slavery sooner than that. But we can't question God's timing. We can't question it in Moses' life, and we certainly can't question it in our lives. But God does something in Moses' life to get his attention. And if, he, and if he wasn't in the wilderness of Midian, shepherding that flock... This wonderful attention grabber in Moses' life wouldn't have happened. You know, in, in this life, there are so many things vying for our attention, too. But God wants us to focus on Him. And just like Moses, if God's calling us into service, sometimes He needs to get our attention. Sometimes He needs to do something spectacular. Or even bring us to the point of just total dependence on him to get our attention. You know, for any of us who serve the Lord, maybe our road to service has included a late night trip to the emergency room or, or a car wreck or, or being fired from our job or some other occurrence that sort of jolts us to a point where we look to God and we say, okay, God, what do you want? Something that sort of knocks us out of our daily routine and gets us to a point and into a position where God wants to speak to us and we're ready to listen. Because prior to that experience, we may not have been ready to listen to God. You know, when Pastor Joe spoke about having ears to hear, you know, it's a, it's a strange saying, but we may have ears to listen, but we may not have ears to hear until God prepares us for that. You know, frequently we get so self-absorbed that we don't even know when God wants to get our attention. 
And I think that's something that we can all relate to. I think it's something that we can all pray against. You know, God, um, let me not become so self-absorbed or so distracted by the things of this life and, and this world that I don't hear you calling me. You know, maybe it's a still small voice. Maybe it's a circumstance that we, we see God's presence in the midst of like Moses did. But whatever that is, we want to be available and we want to be prepared for what God has for us. You know, there are many examples in the Bible where God had to go to extraordinary measures to get people's attention. You know the story of Jonah, told by God to go to Nineveh, preach repentance and judgment to the inhabitants there. And what did Jonah do but turned and went in the opposite direction? You know, of course, he found, like we find, you cannot run from God when he has a calling on your life. But God had to do something spectacular in Jonah's life in order to get his attention. So he finds himself where in the belly of a great fish. And in verse 1, in, in Jonah chapter 2, just going to read four verses. It says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, from, Lord his God from the fish's belly, and he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. And he answered me, Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me, all your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I've been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. See, like Jonah, many times we're thrown into trying situations. And often, those are the times where God speaks the most clearly to us. We need to recognize those times, and we need to look again, as Jonah did, toward God. And have ears to hear that God's speaking to us. And the same thing when God called Saul of Tarsus. You know, he had to do something spectacular to get his attention. It says in Acts chapter 9 that Saul fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You know, Saul was a persecutor of the Christians. He would persecute them, he would kill them. And Jesus came to him on that road and Saul says, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, kicking against the goads is a metaphor. And goads were used to prod cattle and livestock forward. And frequently, the animal would kick back against the goads. And what happened was they would actually do more harm to themselves than, and than anything else. And how, what a picture that is sometimes of us, you know, resisting God's call in our lives, kicking back against what God has for us, knowing or maybe not knowing that it's the best for us, yet kicking back against it and harming ourselves instead. 
We do that often, I think. And yet, God still calls us, and he wants to use us. I think a lot of times, we think that our way is better than God's way, and we fight against it, and we hurt ourselves in the process. So if God is prodding you to go in a certain direction, don't pull back. Don't turn away. Don't kick against that prodding of God. And sometimes that prodding comes in those life-grabbing, attention-grabbing moments in our lives. And that's where it becomes our responsibility to recognize God in the midst of those things and respond. You know, many of us can think back over the course of our lives and see where we've experienced the presence of God many times. And we've, he's brought us to a high place in our life. And yet we tend to sometimes just go drifting off after that and waiting for that next wave of excitement to come in and just pull us forward again. You know, we can't become content with the experiences of the past. We need to move forward into what God has for us. We can't just coast, as Moses did in the wilderness, into obscurity without recognizing that God has a call on our lives. And sometimes we may think that God is, you know, wasting our talents and abilities. God, I, I was... I was so ready to be used by you, but you missed the timing. You know, 20 years ago, I was, I was able, I was, I was energetic, I was eager. I was ready to be used, God, but, but now I'm, I'm, I'm tired. I have, there's, there's things in my life that are going on. Well, this is, this is maybe exactly where you need to be for God to use you. See, if we're in God's will, and we need to remember this, if we're in God's will, not only does he have a plan for us, bringing us into the future, but he has an immediate plan for our lives. No matter what we're, where we're at, no matter what we're doing, if we are in God's will, everything that we're, we're doing is part of God's plan for our lives. We may think, that it's a waste of time. We may think that God can use us greater in another way, and yet God is using that time in our lives to prepare us. So Moses' next 40 years spent in the wilderness of Midian, and like I said, many people call this the backside of the desert experience. And think about it. He was shepherding a flock in the wilderness, and God's call on his life was to shepherd the flock of his people. So what better training could there have been for Moses than to be a shepherd in the wilderness those 40 years? You know, he lived a radically different life than the one he lived in Egypt. It was a simple life. The one in Egypt was glamorous and, and it, was, uh, it was full of riches. And, and the one in the wilderness was simple and hard and difficult. 
tending the flocks for his father-in-law was hard work. It was quite different than the privilege and the prestige that he had in his previous life. But isn't that sometimes how God works in our lives? Many times he strips away all the advantages in our life. So he can get us to understand and to listen to the call. So he can prepare us. So as we come to our our passage tonight in Exodus chapter 3, Moses is now 80 years old. So we went through 40 years and then 40 years of Moses' life. So in Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 1, it says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. I like to, I like to see here that Moses is just doing his job. Nothing special. He's not in a special place waiting for God. He's just doing his job. God calls us in our everyday existence. He calls us out of just our daily routines. He doesn't expect us to be in a particular place. He just prepares us in what we're doing. And when we're ready and when his timing is perfect, He calls us out of that. And many times he takes us into a desert season before that, a preparation time. And even in the the Bible, there are many instances of that. John the Baptist was raised in the desert regions in southern Israel before his ministry. Paul was in the desert in preparation for three years prior to his ministry. And even the Apostle John as it says in Revelation, was exiled to the island of Patmos, a deserted place, where at that deserted place, God revealed his son Jesus to him. Now, if you think you're in a deserted place, if you think you're just in a mundane, everyday routine, that may be exactly where God's going to speak to you. Nothing spectacular. Just your everyday existence. I find that that's a pattern that God works in a person many times in those wilderness seasons in our lives. Bringing us to a point of full dependence on Him, not on ourselves. See, He does it in order to humble us so that our sufficiency, as Paul writes, is not in us, but in Him. God brings us to a place that we are firm in His promises, not influenced by our emotions, which go up and down with our circumstances. So God takes Moses out of his position as one of the most respected men in in Egypt to, to perhaps one of the most rejected men in the eyes of the Egyptians. And why do I say that? Well, in Genesis 46, 34, it says... Your servant's occupation has been with livestock from our youth even till now, both we and also our fathers, that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. So Moses was taken from the high high position in the Egyptian culture to one of the most despised 
in the Egyptian culture. See, God is not a respecter of prestige or position. He'll reveal himself to us when we're in a place of humility and simplicity. So in the busyness of our lives, how can God compete with all that we've got going on? You know, what are we putting before God? You know, and as Moses receives the Ten Commandments from God, the first commandment is, I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me. So sometimes we're not hearing from God or we're not fully prepared for what God has for us because we have other things before God. We have our job or our leisure time or our family or whatever it is. Sometimes that we're putting before God so that we're not in a place where we can hear from Him. And so Moses finds himself in this situation in the desert, shepherding the flock. And in verse 2, it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Now, just as a side note, I've heard it said that Moses' life being split up into 40-year into segments, the first 40 years Moses spent becoming something, the second 40 years Moses spent becoming nothing, and the last 40 years was spent learning that God can do something with nothing. And I think sometimes if we segment our lives, we see those different parts of our life, how God is using them to prepare us. So how does God appear to Moses? How does he manifest himself when he's prepared Moses for this job? He appears before Moses as an angel, as the angel of the Lord. So who is this angel of the Lord? Well, actually, it's a theophany, they call it which is a manifestation of God in a physical form. You see, this angel, many times in the Old Testament, they speak of angels of the Lord or an angel of the Lord. But when they use the article the, it usually speaks of an appearance that has the characteristics of God. So this was God in a physical form, appearing to Moses. So the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire. And what does the fire represent? You know, the bush was not consumed. It burned and burned and burned. And a lot of times fire, well, fire certainly represents God's presence. It represents God's judgment. It represents sometimes his refining, the refining fire. But it also represents, since the bush wasn't consumed, it represents God's mercy. God's mercy. You know, Moses could very well have become a heap of ashes 40 years earlier when he killed that Egyptian and then was accused by his brethren. And God could have said, that's it, Moses, you're done. 
You've ran ahead of me. You didn't wait for my call. But you see, since the bush was not consumed by that fire, we see God's mercy in the midst of that. We also see his mercy to the nation Israel, which could have been consumed so many times over the course of history. And yet God preserved them through all of those things. So we see God's beautiful mercy in the midst of this. Now, a burning bush in the dry desert wilderness is not really that spectacular to see. Sometimes just they combust because of the heat and the dryness of the bush. So Moses wouldn't have thought that was anything special necessarily. But something did catch his eye. It says the bush was not consumed. Now, if the bush, if the bush is burning and dry and it's hot and arid, the bush is going to get consumed like that. But Moses realized something was different. And in verse 3, it says, Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So God gets Moses' attention. And Moses responds. You see, Moses had ears to hear what God had to say. He had been fully prepared now through that wilderness time, through that preparation time. And this is our responsibility too. When God calls us and maybe he sends something to get our attention, whatever that might be, we need to have ears to hear. We need to be fully prepared to turn aside and look at this great sight like Moses did. So fire, the burning of the bush, it's symbolic of God throughout the scriptures. It illuminates, it purifies, it warms. And it's God's presence. The bush was not consumed by the fire because of God's presence in the midst of it. Now think about that. Think about that in your life, in my life, I think about many times where I felt like I was at the point of just turning to a heap of ashes. So many things might be going on in our lives, whatever it might be. But God has preserved us for a purpose. God's presence in our lives preserves us. God's presence in our lives sustains us through our affliction and then prepares us for something better. You know, Moses may have looked at his own life at that point and, and wondered why God had sustained him, why God had preserved him through all of these things. And he prepared Moses. See, God was faithful to show Moses his grace and his mercy and he's faithful to do the same with us. It's a picture of his mercy. And then in verse 4, it says, So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. So, if the fact that the bush wasn't consumed didn't get Moses' attention, I think the bush t talking to him would probably get Moses' attention. So God definitely 
was trying to get Moses' attention, getting, trying to get Moses to respond. God will call us as he called Moses. He will get our attention, and then he waits for Moses to respond to the call. And I've often missed this, this little fact when I've read through this scripture so many times that God calls from the midst of the burning bush. You know, in the midst of something that we're going through, in the midst of some catastrophe or some darkness in our life, God's presence is there and will reach out to us. And so we need to not, we need to not look at those things in our lives as something that God can't use. We need to understand that God may be in the midst of that and calling to us. See, Satan wants us to ignore God. He wants us to be so wrapped up in our everyday lives that we only pay attention to our own appetites. He wants us to be so busy in the world that we don't spend time reading the Bible. We don't spend time going to Bible studies. We don't spend time in fellowship with brothers and sisters. Satan wants us to be so wrapped up with the things in our lives that we don't understand and we don't hear when God's trying to get our attention. But God continues to reach out. So then in verses three, uh, 5 and 6, it says, Then he said, God, don't, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Now God speaks to Moses after Moses responds, and he reveals himself to him more. He says, take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. What is holy ground but any place that God's presence is manifest, is holy ground. So taking off his sandals would be a sign of respect, common thing to do in that culture in that day, even when just entering someone's home, as a sign of respect, you would remove your shoes. But for God, it's a sign of respect and, and reverence. And, and God expects us to worship Him as we're called into service by Him. He expects us to reverence Him. And He says, Moreover, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is revealing who he is to Moses, saying, I was faithful to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses, I will be faithful to you too. And we need to look at God's faithfulness, either to others or even to ourselves, and realize that if he's been faithful to us in the past, he will continue to be faithful to us in the future. And so Moses hid his face, another sign of humility before the Lord. So Moses is starting to get the picture now, starting to understand that this is something definitely special in his life. And in verse 7, it says, The Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry, 
because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. I know their sorrows. God sees our affliction. He knows what we're going through. He, he knows our sorrows. He knows our oppression. He knows that situation that you're in. He hasn't forgotten about you. Sometimes we think that because it's taken such a long time to get through this trying circumstance in my life, God, you must have forgotten about me. You must not realize what I'm going through, God. So God reassures Moses. Moses, I've heard my people's cry. I know their sorrows. I understand. I haven't forgotten about them. It's in my timing, Moses. It's in my timing. Whatever we're going through, be reassured, be encouraged. God's timing is always perfect. And he'll perform his perfect will in our lives. We need to remain faithful. You see, we're the ones that get faithless. You know, it says in the New Testament that he's faithful, but we are faithless. We need to remain faithful, knowing that he's going to use everything that we're going through to fulfill his purposes. God hasn't forgotten about us, no matter what we're going through. So in the midst of the burning bush, maybe that's symbolic for you of whatever you're going through. In the midst of that burning bush, God's presence is made manifest. And he knows. So in verses 8 and 9, God says, So I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me. I have also seen the oppression of which the Egyptians oppressed them. See, now God lays out his plan to Moses to deliver the people and his promise for blessings. And probably because God knows Moses' tendencies and our tendencies to distrust, he reiterates that he's heard the cries of the people and he's seen their oppression and he hasn't forgotten. You know how many times God has to continually remind us, I hear you. Wait on me. I know your oppression. I know what you're going through. Wait on me. Be faithful. I'm faithful. We need to remember that although it may seem like God has no idea what we're going through at the time, or else he surely would have fixed it by now. See, he sees the big picture. We don't see the big picture. We see the immediate circumstance that we're going through and we say, God, I need you to fix this right now, right here, where I'm at. And yet God knows the end from the beginning. And sometimes we fail to remember that. He never takes his eyes off us. He never takes his eyes off us. He knows us intimately. So then in verses 10 through 12, 
Moses gets his commission. It says, Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So Moses' first excuse, who am I? Who am I? You know, it may have been humility. It may have been just not trusting God had everything under control. Whatever the reason, God's not going to accept Moses' excuse. He's not going to accept our excuse. You know, if we think about it, Moses' excuse of inadequacy, which is what it was, who am I, God, to take your people, to bring them out of Egypt, who am I? His excuse of inadequacy actually was not a bad excuse. He was telling God, I can't do this, God. And for us, that's not a bad thing to say. God, I can't do what you're asking me to do. I'm not equipped, God, in in and of myself to do this great thing that you're calling me to. And if if, if we leave it there, that's fine. But sometimes we use that as an excuse to run from God's call. And in verse 12, so God said, I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Moses, it's not about you. It's about me. I know you can't do it, Moses. And God may be telling us, I know you can't do it. But I will be with you. And here's the promise that he made to Moses. You will come back to this mountain, Moses, and you will serve God. You will serve me back on this mountain. And it happened. And if you watch the movie, you'll see. It's, it's actually pretty biblical. But I always think of Edward G. Robinson. I don't know how he got... He, 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 Dathan. And he was swallowed up in the rebellion of Korah. Remember, he rebelled against Moses. Moses, who made you prince that... See? Um, this was the last thing Moses expected God to say, I'm sure. After being in the wilderness for 40 years, after being taken from the top in the culture to a lowly shepherd and being put out to pasture, pretty much... For 40 years. I, I'm sure Moses never imagined God had this great job for him to do. See, Moses was ready 40 years before. He was ready. He was confident. He had power. He had prestige. He had position. He was ready then. But God wasn't. See, God's timing is always different. He had prominence in the world, and Moses probably thought, God, you missed out. Forty years ago, I would have been your man. But now, I can't do this. I can't do this. So by this time, Moses' only response is, 
Who am I? Who am I? But we'll see who God is. In verses 13 and 14, it says, Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? See, Moses is funny. He's like us. We think of problems before they come up. And this never came up. They never asked him who God's name was or what shall I call him. They never asked him that question. Yet Moses, of course, thinks of a problem before it happens. And God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. See, Moses asked the wrong question in verse 11. It should have been, who are you, God? Not who am I? It's not about who we are. It's about who he is. And are we willing to look in the midst of what we're going through, in just our everyday existence, where God may be doing something to get our attention, are we willing to look and recognize that God is calling us into service? And are we willing to say, God, I cannot do this thing, but I know that if you're calling me, that you'll equip me, you'll sustain me, and that, God, you'll be with me to accomplish great things. See, in the midst of something in our lives that we never expected, or something that we may feel like we're just going about our business, God comes in and reveals himself to us many times. And those are the moments that's real, that really stick. Those are the ones that really get us to think. The ones that become turning points in our life. So once God has our attention, expect that he's going to give us a commission, a job to do. You see... The funny thing is, God does his work through us. He does his work of deliverance. He brings the gospel message through imperfect vessels like us. He uses me and you, and he used Moses. And all we need to know is, I will be with you. I will be with you. It's about me. It's not about who we are. It's always about God. So, in closing, if we feel like maybe we're in that place where Moses was, maybe we're going about our life, maybe we felt like we're past our prime, maybe we feel like God should have thought about using us years ago, or maybe we're just coming into a place in our lives where we want to look for God, His presence in our lives. Look and see in the midst of whatever we're going through and hear God's call. Open our eyes. Don't walk past the burning bush, but stop and turn and answer that call and see what God may have for us. Let's pray.